0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, good morning. Uh, it's been such a great morning of worship thus far. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we are continuing our look at the book of Ephesians. And today we're looking at... What the Bible says, living as children of the light. You may have seen a lot of the Olympics that have just taken place or maybe not seen many of it at all, much of it at all. But there was one athlete, Sidney McLaughlin. You may have heard of her. And she was known for not only her feat in getting a gold medal, but she also was known for giving God the glory for it. You see... Five weeks after setting a world record and becoming the first woman to finish under 52 seconds in the 400-meter hurdles, she went even faster in the Tokyo Olympic final. She crossed in 51.46 seconds to lower the world's best time and become an Olympic champion in the process. And this is what she says. I think I was growing into my own person. And I think the biggest difference this year is my faith. Trusting God and trusting that process and knowing that he's in control of everything. And as long as I put hard work in, he's going to carry me through. And I really cannot do anything more but give God the glory to him at this point. How refreshing and how amazing is it to see an athlete, someone that wins such a a world-renowned accolade to give glory to God. Yes, this 22 year old female Olympic champion is setting records on the world stage and still giving testimony to Christ. God is using her to make a difference. And she goes on to say in that article that much of her athletic improvement was not just because she prayed and gave God the glory, but she had a new coach. And a new coach helped her shave off some things that helped her to get a faster time. And again, not only did Sydney make a difference, but the coach that she that trained her made a difference as well. So now today, you may not be an Olympian. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to set any records for jumping the hurdles. I, I will probably earn a YouTube video of what not to do. Uh, I, me- I remember when I was in high school and I was in track. We they made us do track in the off season for football, and I tried to jump my first hurdle. hurdle. It did not end well. The hurdle one. But the thing is is that you and I may not be an Olympian today, but we may not get world recognition. However, God uses not only people in grand ways like Sidney McLaughlin. He uses people in small ways as well that are willing to bring glory unto him. Look at some of the people that God used even in your Bible. Moses, God used an orphan son that was a poor talker and a murderer to lead his people out of Egypt. Look at David. God used a teenage boy who kept a slingshot in his pocket to slay a giant that was threatening his people. And after that, he was a liar. He was a hypocrite. He was an adulterer and still considered him a man after God's own heart. Joseph and Mary. Mary was a scared teenage girl. And her betrothed husband, he chose them to bring Jesus into the world. And I think of myself, of all the people to be able to sit in front of you and preach God's word, I never thought I would be that person or deserve to have that honor. And you, you minister to your family, and to the church, to the world. There is nobody here that is insignificant today. Because God can use anyone, anyone that believes in Him and places themselves in His hands to be used by Him as He sees best. So this morning, Paul gives us practical ways to be used by God as reflectors of his light in a dark world. We must live as children of the light. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Or if you'd like to follow along, uh, we have a um, app or the Bible app. You go to events and you can find the sermon outline there. My friends on Facebook, you can look in the description. The link is there as well. So you can follow along with us. But. The first thing that we see as we look at the scriptures today, as we continue the second half of Ephesians chapter 4, is that you need to live out what you know. You need to live out what you know. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. In verse 18, he says, their minds are full of darkness and they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no shame; they live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity, but it isn't what that 's not what you learned about Christ, man, if there was ever passages that hit the nail on the head today for what we live in, it would be ones like this and here remember, this is a book written to the church in Ephesus. Paul is urging the people of the Church of Ephesus to apply. What he is preaching, like even today, don't get me wrong, I am so blessed that everybody is here today. And and I understand that what people remember, maybe 25% of what they hear, 50% of what they write down, and 80% of what they apply. Look, I, I understand that. But if if you hear anything today, understand that Paul is saying that after realizing that Christ, all that Christ has done for you, here is what you ought to do for him. So he's, this is a book to Christians. His call is to follow him, and that should motivate us to walk with him. The fact that we have been forgiven of our sins should make us want to live pure lives, not try to live up to some standard that we or somebody else sets for us. You see, after Jesus changed us from who we were to who we are, the Bible calls it new creatures, we should live differently than the world that we came from. Second Corinthians 517 is a very popular verse. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. So how do you live that new life? How do you live the life of a new creature? My, my, my biggest fear is that there will be people in churches just like ours that they've been to church as long as they can remember. And they do it just because that's what they've always done. But yet they're still living the way they used to. They're still living a worldly life. They're still living a life given over to their fleshly desires. And my friends, let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ is in your life, he is going to change the way you think. And, and Paul starts talking about that. Focus on God's word and not what everyone else is doing. I don't know about you all, but I have started uh, shutting down any kind of news outlet. I watch local news, but as far as my favorite Uh, news 24-hour cable channel, there are none anymore. All of them are slanted. All of them have a demographic they're pushing to, and all of them have a different narrative. Now, I will read news off of reputable sources on the internet, which, that's an oxymoron, I know. But, and I will listen to local news, and local news normally doesn't give you a whole lot of spin. But I'm telling you, I have found that I'm much happier by doing that. Because the thing is, is that as a believer, my, my my marching orders come from here. And I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. If I filter everything that I see and hear with the greatest commandments, which are love God and love others as you love yourself, then it's going to change the way I hear these things. You see, Paul reminds the church that they are following and imitating those who die, do not even know Christ. They are following someone who will lead you in the wrong direction. You don't believe that's something? How about all of the billions of dollars that are used in marketing? So if if LeBron James wears a pair of sneakers, then that's what everybody else is going to want to wear. If this celebrity says this is what you ought to drink or this is what you ought to eat, well, everybody ought to do that. And it just goes on and on. People are following celebrities or following popular people. But here's the thing. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been lost? I mean, really lost? And if all of you are lost and one says, follow me, and they're lost, what are you still going to be? Lost. (laughs) Right. So the thing is, is that we we as believers, if we know the truth, but we are following people that don't know the way, it's kind of like we're the ones that should be leading, but we're letting them lead us in ways that, that we shouldn't be led. It says here, where does the lost lead you? It says it right here in the Scripture. If you put the lost, the people that don't know Jesus, and you look up to them and you imitate them, their minds are full of darkness with no sense of shame. People say, oh, it's so terrible nowadays. Everybody's coming out of the closet, cleaning the closet, ripping off the door and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's all kinds of, of genders and, and, you know, all of these other things that everybody's getting... All into, I understand that, and each one of them have their own issues. But the bottom line is here, is that the reason that they are doing this is because there has been no sense of shame. It's always been here. Those of you that are older, that were teenagers back in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, there was still stuff going on then. This stuff was still going on during the time when Jesus walked the earth. This stuff was still going on when Abraham was settling his family. It's always been there, but there is, the sense of shame is gone. They're loud and they're proud. And the people that are in that situation, they wander further and further from God. And it says that their minds are closed and their hearts are hard. Romans 1.22, Paul puts it like this. They're claiming to be wise, but instead they become utter fools. So here's a little bit of an application. If you base your life on following those who reject Jesus, then you will find the same fate. Ever searching for the pleasing of the flesh and sinful desires, only to find a life of momentary completeness That leads to heartache and judgment. Don't get me wrong. Those people that do not live for God, that do not live according to God's word, they are happy. (laughs) They do some fun things. And they do some things that that as Christians we think, man, it would be cool if we could do that and get away with it. But the truth of the matter is, everything's got a price. Everybody has good things that happen to them and bad things. Don't get me wrong, heartache and judgment come into the life of a believer just as an unbeliever. However, Jesus offers forgiveness in the hopes of the midst of that. Second thing we see in verses 21 through 24, stop wearing your grave clothes. Stop wearing your grave clothes. It says, verse 21, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It says here that the truth comes from him. Paul uses the name Jesus, and by doing that, he's giving emphasis to the truth that Jesus died and rose again. That's what separates Jesus from any other God with a little g, by the way that you seek to follow or to know or any other false religion, if you go to the tomb of Jesus, he is not there. He was not stolen. He was not hidden. As smart as people are, they can find him if they they wanted to, if they could. But he is not here. And in Paul's life, Paul, the man that's writing this, Jesus transformed his life. So you, Christian, you claim your life was transformed by Jesus, the only one ever to rise from the dead. So if you've got that kind of power at your disposal, why are you not living the changed life? You can debate this fact. People can say, well, Jesus didn't really die. Jesus was just a good human being, or they don't believe in Jesus. And the, the ever popular, well, they don't believe in God. And, and if that's your truth, then, then I welcome you to follow that to the end. But I'll tell you what, I believe because of what God's word says, what I've seen in my life, what I've seen him do through you guys in, this, in these pews, I know that he is alive. I've seen what he's brought you through. I've seen what he's doing through you. And I've seen what he's preparing you for. There's got to be a God for that to happen. But hey, if there's somebody that believes that there is no God, they're, they're open to that belief. But it doesn't mean we need to defend God or we need to, to try to fix that person. That is an ideology, ideology that they're following that they're going to have to find out on their own. But as the scripture says, someone in that situation, their hearts are hard and their minds and their eyes are blind to the truth. You see, Jesus is all powerful. The Jesus that was powerful enough to save you from your sins is also powerful enough to change you. To change you from who you were to who you are and to who he wants you to be. For example, the Holy Spirit will renew your thoughts and attitudes. That's what the scripture says here. The bad things brought you temporary fulfillment. Now leave you empty. Look, I remember those days to where I thought it was all about friends having fun and doing everything that they're doing just to to be accepted and to, to live the life that the commercials were telling me I needed to live. But at the end of the night, when it's just me and the singing fan in a dark room and realizing how empty that lifestyle was, I realized, I remember looking in the mirror and saying, God, if you're real, help me. And it's not like I heard angels. You know, the the sky didn't split and all of a sudden rays of light came down and I was saved right there. But I tell you what, that prayer that I prayed, looking in the mirror saying, God, if you're real, come into my life. He started the process. Because all that stuff that I was chasing was leaving me empty. And if you were to be true and honest with yourself, those things that you chase apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, are fun at the time, but they always leave you empty and they make you pay a price higher than you ever wanted to pay and stay longer than you ever wanted to stay and wreak havoc in the very people that you love and call your friends and family. Sorry, I got excited about that. Yeah, there's a pattern here. Jesus changes your heart and mind. And if Jesus changes your heart and mind, then your attitudes will change. And so it talks about putting on new clothes and throwing away the grave clothes. In other words, don't go back to acting like you used to, but start living the life that God has called you to. Many of you will remember the story of Lazarus. The story of Lazarus where we see that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. He said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. Even if sister are saying, Jesus, you don't want to do that, he's been in there for four days and he stinks. He said, no, come on out. And Lazarus comes out and he takes off, of those, takes off those grave clothes and he goes home to be with his family. My friends, Jesus Christ saved you from sin. He made you a new creature. So why are you going back and putting on the dead things that he delivered you from? That's what Paul is telling the church. If you're trying to live life with some sense of security, knowing Jesus, yet continue to act the way one would that does not know Jesus, my friends, you need to be honest with yourself today and God. Because we see a two-step a two two process. Salvation and sanctification. I've used these words before. They're a big church with- let me explain it to you. Basically, conversion leads to a process. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, when you pray to receive him, you are saved. Saved, saved, saved. You are God's child. But that's not where the process begins. You are like a spiritual infant. Sanctification is a process. It is a process about learning about your faith and doing more for the Lord as you get older, and as you get wiser. And also, we see that renewal adds to a changed life. There is a difference when, I remember when I became a Christian and my friend said, okay, have fun with that church boy, Bible thumper. Have a good old time with that. Come back in three years when you're done with all that stuff and we'll continue to do what we've been doing. Well, we'll bring you back. Folks, I never turned back. Now let me ask you something. If living for yourself and living for the sin that you crave is so good and you become a Christian, why would you go back to it? I found out that with Jesus I could have fun with friends, I could go to churches, I could hang around people that loved me for who I was and I didn't have to supply something. I didn't have to smoke something. I whatever they were doing, and I could go, i have a good time, and when I get home, I didn't have to worry about what I did or feel bad about what happened. It was amazing. But then I remember when my first big trial came, I went back to the very same things I used to do, except this time I was miserable. Let me give you a hint, my friend. If you are living for Christ, and you are a Christian, Amen. But if you are struggling on the fence between doing what is right and what is wrong, let me lovingly tell you, either get right with God or jump off the fence and jump all into your sinful desires. Because living on the fence makes Jesus sick to his stomach and it's not living. It's always feeling like you're on a guilt trip. So own one or the other. If you haven't changed life, live it. The third thing that we see is that Paul gives us practical advice for living as children of the light. Now, it's not always fair, but often people will judge a family's parenting by the way their children act. It's funny, you know, especially with Donna and I, it's, it's amazing. Like, and, and I don't say this to be rude, but we'll be out at a restaurant and all of a sudden the baby will just start wailing. Wailing. You know, we don't have children, so we haven't gone through that. So our ears are not have not been calibrated to tune that out. And I'm looking at Donna and I say, look, they're not even moving. It's like they don't even hear the child. Then all of a sudden there's that one person that says, well, if they were my child, you know what I'd do? Mm. But the truth of the matter is, a parent can do everything right. And a kid is still going to misbehave because they are a, a kid. A parent can do everything wrong and a kid still turn out great. But as you look at a Christian life, and if you see a a Christian that is acting poorly, then you will, some people could assume, especially those that are not Christ, or not Christians, if they see a Christian that claims to know Christ, but is acting mean, vengeful, hateful, and awful, they're going to say, look, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want it. We, as children of the light, need to act differently than the world around us. The bottom line is that our actions reflect upon our faith in God and His character. So here we go. Let's just jump into this as we look at our last section, verses 35 through or 25 through 32. Again, this is new living translation. It's very to the point, and that's why I like it. Verse 25: "Stop telling lies. Do we need to go into a big exegetical study of that? Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. The nugget here is not the lie itself. But as believers, we should not have the intent to deceive someone. The reason I say that is because somebody might say, well, I will never lie, preacher. Well, you may not lie, but you won't tell the whole truth. I've heard it before, and I've probably used it myself, where I say, I don't want to tell the truth because I might hurt their feelings. My friends, let me ask you something. What hurts feelings more? Lying to somebody, saying that something is right when it's wrong? Or them finding out you lied to them altogether? As believers in Jesus Christ, If you lie or try to deceive other people, you shouldn't do that because that's not what a children of the light would do. People lie because they want to please themselves. Lying causes trust to be lost between you and that person, sometimes for a season and maybe even forever. I've dealt with a lot of people before and I've dealt with my own life, too. Is that when, when trust is broken, how do you put it back together? Do you know? When trust is broken, how do you put it back together? One piece at a time. Also, not not to be crass, but Revelation twenty two fifteen says hell is for liars, <laughs> so you don't want to be you don't want to be in that boat. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love to lie. Anybody wondering what God was thinking about that? The Christian life is controlled by truth, not lies. And then verse 26 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. I used to know this one person, nobody here, nobody in this county, somewhere totally different, but if you talk to them, they were angry about something. How you doing? Oh, it's terrible today. I'm covered up. Hey man, it's sunny outside. Yeah, I know it's hot. I mean, just always angry. And you're wondering if you're on the radar that day or not. Very sweet person. But always tense. But there are some people that are controlled by their anger. Now, let me just tell you, anger itself is not a sin. God gets angry. Jesus got angry in the temple and cleared the temple when the money changers were taking advantage of the sacrificial system. But you know what? There's two types of anger that are wrong. Malice and wrath. Malice is like a slow burn anger. You know that one where you're just sitting there and you're going, just, just holding on to it for years. Just festering. Some of you still have some things you're angry about that you're still holding on to. My friends, let it go. It's killing you. And then there's wrath, which is just that big explosion of anger. There was a woman who tried to defend her bad temper by saying, I explode and then it's all over with. Yes, said the friend. Just like a shotgun, but look at the damage that's left behind. Don't be that person that says, well, I'll just tell you how I feel. You know me, you know where I stand. Well, that's fine, but be careful, how, especially if you call yourself a Christian. Don't be a loud mouth that's spewing out hate and anger to everybody, giving us a bad name. Check out Solomon's answer to anger. In Proverbs 15.1, I got it on the screen for you. A gentle an- answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Now, I-, I will be honest with you. One of the toughest women in the world was my mother. And when I was a teenager, I was a handful. Like I said, nobody ever would have believed I was going to be a preacher. I was the good church kid that would be, oh, praise ye, Father, in youth group, and then come home and be a hellion. And we would have... The problem was my mom and I were so much alike, we'd get into arguments. She would start, I would get louder. She would get louder, I would get louder. And then, of course, she would pull the weight till your dad gets home, and then the argument's over. But what, what I try to tell people, what I learned through that, my friends, if you're in a tense situation and anger is involved, the best way to diffuse it is to not be Angry when the Bible says that when you are nice to your enemies, it's like lumping hot coals on their head. You realize that if you go to someone that's angry and you're nice to them, you diffuse them and they don't have anything to say. And the conversation is over. And so they quit messing with you because they want to be angry about something. Don't let anger control you. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit Stealing instead use your hands for good work and give generously to others in need my friend satan is a liar and a thief we know that from john 10:10 10, 10. and the trick to continually pour god's truth into your life to keep those sinful desires out it's like we uh we enjoy we call it because of my boy scout background we we have great crystal light we call it, and i'm not a sponsor but we have great crystal light we call bug juice. And you're like, where are you going, this preacher? But we love bug juice. So we have a we have a, a game called How Low Can It Go? So whoever however low it gets, someone's gotta make it eventually, right? And so I'm sitting here thinking about bug juice, which is very spiritual, right? But I'm thinking about the fact you put the packets in, you put the water in, and you stir it. It's not rocket science, right? But my friends, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to put instead of water I wouldn't want to put vinegar in with that mix. I wouldn't want to put Lysol in with that mix. My friend, your life is like that pitcher. And whatever you put into it, that's what you're going to taste. And my friends, if you put the truth, the pure water of God's word in your life, it will keep the other nasty stuff out. But if you slow down, and you don't make biblical truth priority in your life, you're going to be filled with every kind of lie that Satan can throw at you. Verse 29, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I've never heard somebody say, That boy is such a Christian, he's got such a potty mouth, and it just blesses us. Or, Yeah, that person make a sailor blush. It doesn't happen like that. And then you get into that, well, preacher, what's a cuss word and what's not a cuss word? I'm not going to go through examples here because that would go against what I'm trying to do here. But if you if you quit trying to see what word I can get away with and you just go to the text and it says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement To those who hear them. That means the gossip is out. That means foul language is out. That means all of that stuff. If you are a Bible-believing Christian and you wear the name of Jesus, you shouldn't be known as a gossip or a potty mouth. It's just common sense. Because your words matter. The words that come out of your mouth are an overflow of what's in your heart. Don't believe me? Read Matthew 12, 34, where Jesus says that. You want to know somebody's heart? Listen to them talk for 15 minutes. If they always talk about themselves, they're all about themselves. If they always talk about other people, then they're about following other people. If they talk about Jesus, then what do you think they're for? Look, Paul, the author of this passage is one to talk about speech. Because check with me, check this out. Paul's speech, Paul's words were the very words that led people to persecute and kill Christians when he was Saul of Tarsus. His orders killed Christians from his mouth. And now his words are used to build up the church. And to encourage Christians. He went from praying on God's children to praying for God's children. And my friend, if Jesus changes your life, he can change your attitude just like Paul's. Verse 30 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on that day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Folks, let me tell you something. Bitterness separates you from fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Warren Wiersbe tells the story of a man who stopped by his study one day and asked him if he would perform a wedding for him. So he suggested, Warren Wiersbe suggested that this man bring his wife-to-be by so that he could chat with them together to get better acquainted with them because he wasn't really comfortable marrying people he did not know. The guy says, Okay, I'll do that. But before I bring her in, let me explain this wedding to you. Both of us have been married before. As a matter of fact, we were married to one another. Over thirty years ago we got into an argument. I got mad and we separated. Then we did a stupid thing, we got a divorce. Because they were mad and they were bitter. He said, I guess we were both too proud to apologize. Well, all these years we've lived alone, and now we see how foolish we've been. Our bitterness has robbed us of the joys of life, and now we want to remarry and see if the Lord won't give us a few years of happiness before we die. My friends, do not let bitterness rob you from the life God has given you. My friend, if you are bitter and you won't let that person or that situation go, you're letting that thing live in your life rent-free. It's like a cancer. You need to get it out. Paul gives three reasons to avoid bitterness here. Bitterness will grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? When you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. So when you read Scripture, when you pray... When you fellowship with other believers, when you hear a preacher preach, these things start making sense. Kind of like when you finally fell in love and all those love songs started making sense on the radio. It's like or when you're in math class and all of a sudden it pops and you get it. I never was that lucky. But the thing is is that when you start seeing things for as it is, that's the Holy Spirit doing that. So if we allow bitterness and sin in our lives, we don't let go of it, it hampers that. When you have sin in your life, it feels like your prayers Don't even reach the ceiling. When you have sin in your life, it feels like you can't even understand a thing, the Bible says. When you have sin in your life, you don't want to be in church. You don't want to be around Christians. You don't want to hear sermons because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you are lost. It just means that your fellowship with God is broken. If I have a child, my child gets mad at me, and my child runs away. No matter what we do, the DNA, the genetics are still there. That is my child. But the fellowship has been broken. My friends, if you and I have sinned in our lives, our fellowship with God is broken. So you grieve the Spirit. Satan gets a foothold in your life. And you tear down others rather than build them up. So in conclusion, living as a child of the light centers around forgiveness. Look at verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as through Christ has forgiven you. Oh, if our world could just do that today. Oh, if the drama queens could just do that today and the drama kings and and all the people that are fussing about things. There have been churches that have been split over doctrine, they've been split over chandeliers and carpet and a bake sale, actually. You think I'm crazy? Uh, Tom Rainer's church tells of, Tom Rainer's book, Autopsy of Deceased Church. He tells of a church that split over two women that fought over the bake sale between the two pies. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It's just crazy. The bitterness and unforgiving spirits cause us to view others and treat them as Satan would. But God has called every Christian here today to take the responsibility of living a life of integrity seriously. The darker this world becomes, my friends, the brighter our light for Christ will shine if we are willing and determined to do so. But the problem is today, too many churches and too many believers don't want to stick out. They want to look like everybody else. They want to do the things that the world does and not be any different, but yet still claim to their salvation. It doesn't work like that. Live out what you know. Stop living the life Jesus saved you from and take practical steps to be more like Jesus. Because true change begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of these things that Paul lays out before us is impossible without a saving relationship with him. Also, it's impossible without making him Lord and leader of your life. we got a lot of Christians that Jesus is my Savior. Savior, you can move the mountains. And we can just sing it and praise it. But when that Savior says, oh, by the way, take up your cross and follow me. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Jesus, author of salvation. Hey, come and serve me. No, you can't do that, God. But I'll raise my hands and I'll worship. you got to be, he's Savior and Lord. So please, make your decisions. Take an inventory of what you've done, and if you're living the life the best that you can, you keep on doing it because that is what this world needs. It's Christians that are not perfect, but Christians that are trying to do the best they can with what God has given them. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. you don't have to be a choir boy or a choir girl. You don't have to be Joe Christian or Susie Sanctification. It's got to be real. You can be flawed. You can be in the process. But that's just it. Be in the process. Check your heart today. Do you know Jesus? Are you part of his church? And if you are part of his church, do you need to return to him? Whether you want to come forward and and talk with me about salvation or you want to just come to the altar and pray. Folks, we we need to repent we need to renew that change Christ has made in us. So let's have our time of invitation. Would you please stand?